everyone and welcome to the Women's Golf History Podcast with me, Lauren Beatty, final year PhD student and non-golfing golf geek. Yes, you heard right, I'm not a golfer and until recently I had never even held a golf club. Despite my lack of golf talent, I love the history of the sport and especially the history of the women's game. On this podcast, I shed light on the largely hidden history of women's grassroots golf in Scotland. Each episode welcomes a new guest with a personal connection to the sport and its heritage, exploring the past, present and future of the women's game. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 3 of the Women's Golf History Podcast. Today I'm joined by Catherine Emery, former Ladies European and LPGA Tour player and currently coaching the Scottish National Women's Team. So it's a pleasure, Catherine, to have you on today's podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Thank you. So I thought we could just start by talking a little bit about what got you interested and inspired to start playing golf. Well, as a youngster, I was the youngest of four and I played all sports, like everything that could be, particularly football, hockey, tennis. And my dad was a principal teacher at the Kingsway Techs. He had a lot of time off during the summer. And one night he just said, why don't you come along with me to the golf course? And I went along with him, ran along with him as he was, you know, playing a few holes. It's a perfect little loop of seven on the, on the Ash Lady. I was definitely more interested in chasing rabbits and running through the bunkers than watching him play golf or anything. But, you know, it got me outside, loved being outside. As you know, the summers in Scotland can be beautiful. And then it got me a cut down six iron, um, wooden shafted uh, six iron, leather grip all, all the you know the really old kind of style and I would hit that and you know really make contact with the ball loved loved that feeling of hitting the golf ball and that was me I was hooked on it from there and you know what a great way to spend time with your dad and just get out there and it, it was it really from there that I, I just started to then you know I played all sports but golf really was starting to sort of take over but I played all sports till about 14 or 15 I joined the club when I was 11 um, and that was quite an interesting story because um, I'd been playing in a couple of events. Um, I played in the, uh, the BP um, Junior Golf event at Caird Park and I was the only girl playing in my age group. I think it must have been under 10s or something. And um, so I just knew I had to turn up to win and I went out there, returned to score, won. My picture was in the paper the next day and, and that got the attention of the ladies club captain, a mm. uh, woman by the name of Joan Farish. And, she extended an invitation for me to come and join the golf club mm-hmm. um, at Money Keith, and you know I took that up. And you know who knows if if she hadn't extended that invitation, where I would have been with my golf. I mean I think I would have played, but I mean I got that got me ahead of the game, if you will, because I was quite young for a junior to come in. But um, I think everyone sort of recognised that I had some pretty special talent with it for whatever reason, and and that was it. You know I loved it. Got my handicap of uh, twenty seven when I was you know fairly young and. That was it, you know, once it was on that, that ladder of, okay, how, can, how quickly can I get down to scratch and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, everyone was really supportive. Women were great. And, uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was how I got into it. 27 seems like quite a low handicap yeah, to start apparently. with. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was quite unusual. And I, yeah. I think it would have been about 12 by the time I got that. Okay. Um, you know, by the time I learned a little bit more and started putting in scores. But, again... I believe I had to put in like 10 scores or something to get the average of that and you know the Ashley is a fantastic golf course if no one's ever played it get yourself to Ashley it's a you know it's a course that's got 
a lot of short par fours. Um, so you're you're getting legitimate pars, le- legitimate birdies as a youngster. And I mean, it's really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh my goodness, this is a great game. You know, you're actually doing something that my dad could do. You know, and he, he was this male adult, and it was just really fun to yeah. do that. And yet, so um, I again, I believe my handicap was scratched by the time I got to fifteen. So it's quite Amazing, a, a good, yeah. um, you know, uh, way to whittle down that that handicap down to scratch. So I knew it was obviously. I uh, was pretty good at the game at a pretty young age. Yeah. And for those maybe that are listening and aren't aware what a handicap is, it's just to basically make a level playing field. Yeah, yeah, it just brings you back to power, which is why golf is so good. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, even to this day, I mean, now as a professional, I can go out and play with people that are beginning in the game. Mm-hmm. And we can still have a game. Yeah. You know, because they, they might have a handicap now, you can have it up to 50 if you, if you want. You could, you know, literally, and, ha- and power would generally be 72. Um usually in most courses so i mean yeah. if you're you know it's, it's, it's a great it's a great leveler so your your it was your father your dad got you into the game yep do you think it's important to have that family support yeah i, I think it's it helps obviously it's it's nice to have that um support but i don't think it's necessary because there's, there's other ways that you can get into the into the game without being a golfer yourself to introduce your kids to it but I just loved that time with my dad. It was a great way to spend time just bonding with them. And, and you know, mum too and, and my other brother played. So it was, you know, for anyone out there with, with young kids, I would definitely suggest trying it out. Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking for something to bond your, your kids together and get them off their computer and things like that and get them outside and, you know, enjoying what um, golf has to offer, which is, is many, many great things. But, um, yeah, I loved it and wouldn't change it for the world. You know, and holidays too. I mean, yeah. at the Easter time, it's school time, I remember... We'd go in the caravan with the caravan and we'd, we'd hike up at Crail and I'd play in the Ely uh, Junior Open. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the weather was brutal, you know, in mm-hmm. the Easter time, but there was <laughs> mum and dad out there supporting and, you know, and we'd all do the putting and everything afterwards. But it was just great. Loved it. Yeah. And yeah. did your siblings play as well? So, youngest of four, um, my eldest brother plays and still plays to a pretty good uh, standard, the middle two. No. non-jocks <laughs> really quite funny <laughs> the, the two bookends with yeah. the, the sporty ones and then so i've got brother and sister in the middle that don't play but really supportive yeah. and throughout my career they've been great and so th- that was another bonding even though they didn't play they enjoyed being outside i mean who doesn't you know mind being outside in the sun and you know so they they would be forced to come along to a few of the, the tournaments by mum and dad and you will watch Catherine play type thing yeah. but it wasn't i'd say that in jest i mean they, they generally enjoyed it and it was, it was fun to be all together Great. And um, so you became a member of a club when you were 11. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how it was like for you adapting to being, you know, <coughs> club etiquette and being a member of a club? Yeah, um, you know, back then, that would have been in the late 70s, early 80s, and there's definitely rules to abide by, you know, dress codes. Back then, I would be wearing spikes, wear soft spikes now, had to take off your shoes, change your shoes, you know, keep your locker clean. Um, we weren't allowed in certain areas of the club. Um, but the boys, if they wore hats, you know, hats off, that kind of thing. I never wore a hat or a, a visor for that matter. And, you know, it's just, you just learn the respect and, and how to interact ar- around elders, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just great for life lessons and life skills to, to grow. You know, like you'd be put in your place if you're stepping out of line, but I was the picture perfect child. <laughs> so I didn't have to get told that. Mm, people listen to this and know me yeah. going, I don't think I was generally was a, a pretty good kid and just really enjoyed playing golf. Yeah. But no, it's a, it's a great, as I say, I always say that um, the life skills that you learn playing golf are um, immense and it's, it parallels life in, in many ways. 
me and like when you're on the golf course you got to know your um you know your honesty integrity you're, you're keeping score you're respectful of others and um yeah. like i say just there's so many good values that you can can learn on the golf course yeah, so if you're a mum or dad listening, you've got yep. a particularly wild child, get them enrolled in For sure. the golf Seriously. club. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I would, I would do it. Um, and so when you were um, a junior member, were there many girls that played? No, there weren't. You know, when I was uh, getting ready for this uh, chat today um, and looking back at my junior stuff, there, there weren't many. There were a couple, but none were really as dedicated as I was. You know, I loved it. You know, I'd be thrown off there at eight in the morning, you know, or dumped off, she'd say, from mum and dad in the morning, mm -hmm. and I picked up at eight, nine at night, you know, yeah. and that was not a problem. I mean, what I loved about Money Feath too was that we had a little junior room um, that was just for the juniors, yeah. you know, because we weren't allowed in the lounge or dining room, which I kind of liked, you know, it's sort of set boundaries. And, you know, so the juniors would be up there, but I think I was only... There might have been a couple of other girls there and there were other younger women members you know maybe 20 but they were adults you know mm -hmm. they were still still the kids so it, it was something that didn't bother me at all at the time i mean i was loving it you know just being i was a bit of a tomboy then as well yeah. anyway but um you know they were all my friends and it actually helped my game you know when you're playing with stronger boys you know at the time it, it helps you to hit the ball a little bit harder i mean if you look at lexi thompson she's a star player in, in america and she grew up, she's the youngest of four again, all her brothers that played, her, she had three brothers, and she was the furthest um, hitting person on the, on the tour because she just ripped the ball because she was watching her brothers do it all the time, yeah. you know? So for me, playing with the boys, that really helped me. Yeah, so it was yeah. a positive yeah. to it yeah. as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. That was fun. You know, and cool. you got on fine with the boys? Oh, no yeah, problem. absolutely. No <laughs> problem, not at all. It was just uh, until I started beating them. Then <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, it was, it was all good. I mean, it's just we're all young and just having fun. Great times, yeah. for sure. Great. And was there the option to play golf in school at all? So that's a, a good one as well because there was a great guy, Jimmy Graham was his name, unfortunately. He's not with us anymore, but he was an art teacher at Moneyfeed who loved his golf and he would basically single-handedly on his own get anyone interested in golf and help us you know practice and play a little bit at the um, driving ranges and, and the golf courses and I think he did arrange well he did arrange a couple of games against like Carnoustie and things like that but it was nothing you know that, like the way I'd like to see games I'd love schools to have leagues mm -hmm. you know golf leagues and there's nothing like that um, in my day but I mean they were starting Going back to the club again, mm -hmm. um, and so you talked a wee bit about the etiquette mm -hmm. and the sort of clothing, having dress clothes. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult getting clothes to wear on the golf course? 100%. Funny story, when I won the Scottish schools that uh, when I was 40, it was on my 14th birthday on my home course, so I had everything going for me, but I was wearing the same outfit that Jack Nicholas wore when he won the 1978 Open you know, here at St Andrews. It was a blue Pringle um, jumper with a blue sort of t-shirt, navy blue. I had cords on. He probably had nice uh, whatever make of uh, trousers he had on. But I just copied him because that's all that we could do. I mean, he was my absolute idol when I was growing up. And him and Sebi Ballesteros and, you know, that's what I would wear. I'd wear their flare like Sebi had the flared bottoms on. I'd have flared, you know, uh, trousers on and... But yeah, that Jack Nicholas outfit, I'll never for, forget it. And it's just because he, we, we, cause we didn't have any females to look up to. There was no female yeah. golf on TV. Nancy Lopez was um, coming to the fore at that point, and she ended up being 
absolutely the person I wanted to emulate. You know, eventually we'd hear more and more about her, but didn't really see much of her on, on television. But it was it was a really interesting time when I eventually got to meet her and play against her, yeah. which was just uh, incredible. But no, going back to the clothes, it was you know because I think it's important to feel good and look good, and absolutely we were just all of the, the girls that played there. To be honest, any of the junior girls stuff, they were all dressed in kind of frumpy male clothes, unfortunately, you know, dull colours, but there was nothing else. And we didn't feel bad about it because we didn't have any, any other choices. You know, this yeah. is, you know, looking back, would it be nice to have cute little shorts and capris and bright colours? Absolutely, but we didn't have that option. And that's something that's changing? It's definitely changing. And it's great, great to yeah. see now. Oh my goodness, you go to junior events and they all look just like mini pros. I love it, you know, really nice. The, so the girls got the scorch shorts or, you know, really yeah. nice outfits and the advisors, gloves, everything matching and it's, you know, it's just great to see. Um, yeah. A lot more options, yeah. uh, a lot more athletic and it makes them look like, you know, an athlete, if you will. I think there was a while there that golf wasn't really thought of as a athletic sport and now it most definitely is and, and people are dressing that way too and I think it's uh, it's just changing the game and it, it just, yeah. uh, again, that attracts more people, I would think, and uh, for youngsters to go out and you know, just look cool and, and play a great sport yeah because it is important particularly for young girls isn't it to look good oh, feel yeah. good absolutely and to have that choice and I mean, there, there are choices now and there, there are good choices out there so go for it girls get out there <laughs> go, and, go and look good and strut your stuff and uh, equipment then so clubs as well so was that something that's was different back then 100 percent. i mean uh as i say my first club was that little cut down hickory shafted with a leather grip i loved it still have it somewhere actually and then i got when i was um you know starting out I, my first set was a half set of swilkin ladies club so it still wasn't juniors but it was ladies because mm. that's all that was available to us and they were probably too heavy for me they're maybe the the stiff shafted club that we kind of all were basically given back in the day but nowadays you'd be you know measured for your height your weight how far you can swing or fast so you can swing the club and put into appropriate clubs and it's great now they've got all kinds of choices out there now you know and, and certainly in the states where i've spent a lot of time in the last few years um and hopefully it's you know it's, it's coming over to to scotland that you know there's certain clubs you can get at age you know under eight and then because people grow so quickly mm. you know there's then a program where you can just swap out the clubs rather than paying for new ones oh great uh, it's a really good system and you know if it's not being done here i'll make sure it starts yeah. <laughs> you know because it's a it's a big you know it's a big cost to play golf and yeah. that can put people off and you know obviously we can get people into it and, and not make it too um strenuous on the pocket even, even better but it's really important for youngsters to get the right weight of club because if you're swinging something too heavy you're going to swing incorrectly and it's you know nowadays you've got to get the fundamentals nailed and and uh you know swing to the best of your ability with the with the right equipment yeah definitely mm -hmm. and you touched on the cost of golf mm -hmm. there and i just wondered if we could talk a little bit about that do you think that that <coughs> is something that's still a barrier um, yes i do um you know it's when i look at the cost of golf around the world scotland's still probably cheapest if you want to to call it that or, um, but i still think we can do a better job of of um, making it more accessible um to people that you know there's still you know uh, what's the club membership now maybe 800 pounds a, a month a year excuse me and certain you know um expenses on top of that's just too much you mm -hmm. know especially if you've got families of three or four or more 
Um, so yeah, we've got to make it more accessible. And um, you know, I think Carnoustie, for example, do a great job of for juniors. Um, Keir McNichol does a fantastic job with the uh, group there, where I believe it's free for those that um, live in Carnoustie to come down and use the golf course. Great. That's great. Every yeah. club should be doing that to get kids. That, you know, again, looking back. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, like if all of us played, I mean, there was lucky just the two out of the four of the family played, then it would have been a burden for sure. Mm. You know, and I know um, golfers like Hannah Darling, who's one of Scotland's one, you know, brightest prospects coming up, her, she and her brother, um, he played and then he gave up. That's what let Hannah in because they, they both couldn't play. Yep. I mean, just think about that. One of the best talents in Scotland, potentially at some point, might not have played the game you know so it's these things so it definitely does uh, put a barrier up to, to some people and I say we as a nation and uh, Scottish golf particularly you know we're working on these things to try and get it, make it more accessible yeah and there are there are ways now we you know we, we spoke about this before but like the different ways of getting people into golf mm-hmm. there's a lot more now mm-hmm. so Whereas I'm assuming that when you started, it was more club was the way to go. Whereas now, you know, you've got your driving ranges, you've got your pitch and putts yeah, and all that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's great mm-hmm. because you can you can get a taste for golf without paying the you know the, the subs for a club by going to the driving range, getting a bucket of balls and you know whacking a few balls, and then you know the computerized stuff now is fantastic. You can see how far you hit the ball and where you're going and you know top golf's just been a great introduction to the golf world where it gets people out you know and, you know it's probably more of a social thing you get a lot of hen nights and stag <laughs> out there but i'm sure there's there's the family time that you get your little booth have your little lunch and then hit some balls great love it yeah. um and then putting it's just this is great there's there's so many options now and it's 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 good like the himalayas here at yeah. St Andrews I mean who wouldn't want to come out and have a nice you know day out to St Andrews and, and putt a little bit and you know taking the incredible atmosphere that St Andrews has to offer but yeah there's there's definitely very many ways now that families can get out there and kids can get out there Scottish Golf do a good job with the girls hubs yeah um you know which is a good program to to get girls interested in and anyone listening if you want your child to um uh, get into golf please feel free to reach out somehow to yourself or myself but you can get yeah. me on social media be happy to help out yeah i'll put some links on, yeah, the, po- on the podcast please, so people yeah, can yeah. can reach out mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean this is why another reason why I'm, I'm doing this as well is it's just really to to get the sport out there i mean i'm not a, a golfer <laughs> um and um i didn't have the there was no real awareness of golf when i was growing up you know um, i didn't have anyone in my immediate family I know that my granddad who sadly he passed away when I was 10 Mm. but my granddad tried to get my brother into the sport but there was never any like I say I was quite young when he passed away but as far as I was aware there was never really it was never an option for me Mm. like it wasn't something Mm. it was like you know I'll I'll get my grandson involved but not my granddaughter and I just never it was just never on the radar really for me um I knew of girls when I got to high school that were playing Mm -hmm. golf in the teams and I remember thinking wow Mm -hmm. that's really unusual because it felt that Mm -hmm. alien to me um um so uh but obviously doing this research speaking to women hearing their passion for the sport and and so for me it was so important to have that go and I had a wee go in the driving range and I've said to you before it was awful a lie was awful it wasn't awful I enjoyed it but I was awful I couldn't um could hardly hit the ball 
but once I got that made contact with the ball, you know, you could see how people get that yeah. buzz and get, yeah. you know, get the bug if you like yeah. and get really get into it. Um, so yeah, so I would encourage our listeners if you're like me, you're <laughs> completely alien to, to golf, to give it a go. Go to your local driving yeah. range, or um, I still want to get on the Himalayas because <laughs> that's where the women started. Yeah, you know, in, in yeah. the first women's golf club mm-hmm. in the world um, in St Andrews. So yeah, so it's been on the um, the cards for a while to get to get out. Um, yeah, to be out on that course where women played in corsets and ankle length skirts <laughs> and just incredible you know the history it really is i mean how far we've come i know oh definitely so going on to talk a little bit about your amateur career (coughs) then and how that progressed for you and well you know as an amateur and i keep saying to the young women that i'm teaching now there's this natural ladder as i see it i was always very driven i always just want to get to the top that was my number one goal and the amateur world lays it out perfectly for you once you're a member of the golf club you know, your goal should be to play for your golf club. Then once you get representing your club, if you're good enough, you get into the county level. That's when the national selectors are around. If you're good enough there, you play for your nation, playing for Scotland. Wow, what a thrill, what an honour. And then if you're the elite, you'll, you'll be asked to play in the GB&I Great Britain and Ireland team. And I managed to achieve that. And it was this perfect little progression, mm-hmm. you know. But again, you've got to want to do it, mm. you know. And, um, you know, get handicapped, play for club, play for county. Uh, your Scottish team and then uh, GB and I which was just such a thrill for me and that was my benchmark once I made the uh, Great Britain and Ireland team uh, for Kurtz Cup in 1990 that was it it was like okay I'm going to turn pro and that's what I did yeah it was great and was that something that you from when you started from a junior did you always envisage going pro you know again great question because I joined the club when I was 11 I was still playing hockey high level at that point loved my hockey Loved that team environment and probably was edging on national honours for hockey. Mm. And then it just came to a point where I couldn't do both. You know, I was basically playing hockey for Monique Pie in the morning, then literally running down to uh, for first TT time at 11.30 with a group of ladies. Yeah. And I did this every, you know, Saturday during the, the winter. Loved it. And then it got to a point where, okay, I can't do both. And on my own back, I wasn't forced from anyone. I just made the decision, no, I want to... Um, concentrate on golf mm. and you know at that time Nancy Lopez was getting talked a lot um, a lot more about she was this phenom that came out in the LPGA tour and in her first year she won seven events I'm pretty sure she won seven which is incredible I mean Annika is about the only one that's ever done that since her yeah. but that was all of a sudden said Jack Nicklaus so wait a minute here's Nancy Lopez I can look up to and admire and I always remember saying to my PE teacher um you know, once I'd given up hockey, she wasn't too happy about that. But <laughs> you know, I don't know why I said it, but I said, when I'm 22 and Nancy Lopez is 32, I'm going to beat her. <laughs> and she's going, okay, right, fine, you're looking at that. And um, eventually, it was 28 when she was 30 that actually came to fruition. But, you oh, know, it's wow. still, yeah, it was yeah. really cool. Because yeah. she played in the tournament. I, I um, won on the tour and the um, first Scots win on the LPGA tour. But um, so it's always had these goals. So to answer yeah. your question, um, because of Nancy Lopez, there's a lot more attention given to women's golf. The money was okay, um, but it was it was a career, right? You could tu- you could turn pro. Mm. Yeah, so it, it was thanks to Nancy. She changed everything. She changed the landscape for Scottish golfers. And here's this you know young little whippersnapper from Money Peace mm-hmm. just wanting to go and chase the world, and, and it's because of her, no question. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So role models then yeah. are so yeah. important. Oh, 
100% and I think that's um, you know what we've got to do a really good job of um, obviously we've got Katrina Matthew incredible career you've got myself you've got other you know like Gemma Driver and now just getting into the Solheim Cup you know Janice Moody um, Pam Wright and Barry Mackay we've all played the, the Solheim Cup you know we've got to pretty high levels of, of women's golf but yeah. you know um, just to, to keep it more you know relevant like Gemma Driver now is, is doing what we you know we were doing many years ago which is great to see and in fact I just reached out to Gemma last night to see if she could come and talk to us at our next um, you know team meeting and everything to to be on a panel to get our our girls inspired or women um you know but yeah it's absolutely that's what drives people that's what inspires people and you know look what's happened to the lionesses um, yeah. you know the english people team unbelievable but their support from the young kids is just incredible mm. and that we have to do um a better i have to do it as part of my job but i would say now as, as national coaches to you know inspire these youngsters to, to come through but we have to have these role models to be inspired too you know and um so you know working on plans to do that but i think we do need to get out into the schools more you know um go out there tell our story inspire primary sevens primary sixes to sort of get out there and if, even if it was just one girl young girl that said okay i'm going to do that you know mission accomplished yeah but we need to do more of that and yeah hopefully we will Going back to, so you were selected for mm -hmm. the Curtis Cup mm -hmm. in 1990. How was that? Oh, just, I mean, what a thrill. I mean, being the, you know, the best eight in Britain, um, you knew you were kind of in that elite group. It was just a real honour, you know. I was just, I, I was always one that, you know, playing, you know, for Scotland was just amazing for mm -hmm. me. Because, I mean, I remember watching, you know, Scottish football, the Scottish rugby, you know, with the family. It was a whole family day watching that and the pride and just yeah. the, you know, how everyone just really wants to put that jersey on for Scotland and, and that was just instilled in me and again you know just got to instill that pride in, in those coming behind again today but you know getting to that GB and I level was amazing and then we played over in America we, we, we all got flights over to Somerset Hills again the whole family came over it's a real family celebration you know it's, a, yeah. it's just a, it's a really good thing to do and um the treatment that we get over you know these events is just amazing you know we get great uniforms <laughs> we get you know limousines from the wow. airport to the hotel we get great hotels the, the golf courses were amazing unfortunately we got hammered in that oh. um the result wise um the americans were just a bit too strong on, on that type of golf course and we played a very typical American golf course, slopey greens, fast greens. You know, we're all pretty much Lynx players on flat greens, slow greens. So, and the heat, it was super hot then, mm. uh, very, very hot. But I mean, I'd sort of been used to the hot weather because I'd spent four years in, in Tucson at uh, college here. But mm. for a native Scot, it's still hard to, to get comfortable in these conditions. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it was I great. Imagine. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was it like when you, so you played, you got, was it a scholarship and you played in America then? So yeah, and that's a, it's a great story because um, I was heading towards Dump, the PE college, you yeah. know, I was getting my um, education to, to get into there enough for the qualifications to get into that. And that's what I was going to do. But on the slide, you will have been in contact with one of my pen friends who was Ruth Gilfillan, uh, Olympic swimmer, and uh, Ruth, uh, listening, <laughs> I'm not sure if you know how much you impacted my life, actually, I think she does because I have told her, <laughs> but if it wasn't for Ruth, I don't think I'd had that, um, you know, connection to the States, so she was out there training for the Olympics at the University of Arizona that had an amazing aquatic centre, and you know, we were pen friends back there, not emails or anything, you know, that's yeah. what we did. We were at the same high school, Money Feast, but weren't really that close because she'd be 
up at four in the morning, literally, you know, doing her swimming yeah. uh, every day. Talk about dedication, incredible. Yeah. And I was, you know, the sporty one at the end. So we never really spent much time together at school. But um, this pen friend connection led me to the uh, golf coach in the States. And there's a Title Nine that had just come um, to fruition there where mm. eventually the um, powers that be over there realised that more boys had been given the opportunity at sports and this massive funding for money had come in where they say no we've got to catch up we've got to offer more sports scholarships to women so i was a huge benefactor of that and um i got offered a full full scholarship based on newspaper clippings and <laughs> phone calls and sort of saying yeah i can play golf you know and i just shot 67 somewhere which is the coach thought was amazing and got the you know the newspaper to confirm it i mean that's what we did back and that was in 1984 and 85 sort of time we were doing that and she just said okay can you be here on the 15th of august and you know everything so i had to get there but everything mm. once i got there everything was paid for so then, then go to mum and dad and we're sitting down at tea and said okay mum dad i'm not going to dump anymore i'm going to tucson arizona <laughs> And the only thing, issue or the big issue is you have to get me there, I have to get there. And of course, thinking that money grows on trees, right? Yeah. <laughs> the flight was, and mum's going, well, that's not really in the budget, you know. And it wasn't a, you know, an issue. I mean, we were comfortable growing up. It wasn't like that was an easy thing just to pluck out, no. you know, 200 or 300 pounds or whatever it was at that time just to, to send me to, to Tucson, you know. So I think my life savings that mum had put in, was, was, but that's what we did, right? Mum and dad, you know, they put money away for you and said, well, here's, do what you wish with that. So that was my ticket out to the States. But I was very confident in that age. You know, I did everything on my own. And I see how the college system works now in the States and how involved the parents are. It was complete opposite for me. And that was, what, 40 years ago almost. Yeah, 40 years ago that I was basically doing that correspondence. And I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew for some reason that if I wanted to take golf to next level, America was the stepping stone to that so I got to a pretty high level in in, um, in Scotland and um, and I was very fortunate to to gain that and it was the start of a whole new life yeah Dundee to Tucson's a little yeah. different yeah, just, like, yeah. yeah. So. and how does it like the golf I mean I can't imagine what it's like over there is it quite different playing golf oh, in America yeah. to here yeah so I mean, not just alone the, the scenery. You go from lush, green, sort of gentle rolling hills to this very stark, you know, green fairways that are fake because they have to water it so much to this desert, you know, cactus and stones and sand. That's what it was. Yeah. And a wow. completely different type of golf. Yeah. Um, for those that are listening, you, you'll get a kick. When I went over there, I had a one iron in the bag and two wedges. And when I left after four years, I had a nine wood and an 11 wood and, and like four wedges in the bag because the game is so different. I mean, I'd learned golf at Money Fees and Link, so my ball flight was very low. Yeah. Um, and out there you had to have a higher trajectory and basically the equipment helped me a lot with that. And we were given equipment. That was the other big plus. Once you get to the scholarships, then you're you're definitely treated like royalty. And all of a sudden, I've got this brand new set of pings in my um, dormitory room, and it's like, oh my goodness, wow. died and gone to heaven, you know? Amazing opportunity, unbelievable. And um, you know, I really went with it. But you know, it wasn't easy. I, I definitely the, my second year there, sophomore year, as they call it, out there, I got really homesick. I think mm. the first year was all new, it was all fun, it was great. Um, definitely got a little homesick and I was going to quit and just not go back you know after Christmas and my dad said to me you know the easiest thing you can do is quit and that was it you know it's the perfect not thing because <laughs> I just said okay he knew exactly what buttons to push so I said well I'm not quitting you know I'm not quitter so um went back out and thank goodness 
finished, graduated, because that just led to so many things. What I got my degree in education, and I mean now after my golf career as a professional, which you know was a pretty decent career lasting almost 20 years but if I hadn't had this degree I wouldn't have been able to get into coaching into the states which is what eventually I did so I'm really glad that I stuck it out and again parents that are listening make sure your child gets into golf first of all but absolutely gets an education you know of some sort before you're you're diving into any anything you know if you're thinking about career-wise yeah. any sport for that matter you've got to have that to fall back on yeah, great advice mm-hmm. so professional let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. your professional career playing and then I know that you've you've mentioned there you went on to coaching so so how did that all sort of yeah develop? it's oh my goodness where to start how long do we have you <laughs> um wow as you hopefully you can tell I'm very passionate about um golf and feel I'm extremely fortunate for the opportunities I've, I've had in the past but when I turned pro I turned pro in 91 I think it was and back then it was literally you signed a document now you have to kind of go and qualify for it because there's so many great right thanks to all kinds of things all programs now that women are finally getting um introduced to there's a lot of competition now to turn pro yeah but you know i so i signed this document i got great sponsorship from charlie gray builders got the car with my name on it it was really fun you know um thinking this is the life and my first event was in sweden and i played pretty well and i was actually find myself in the last group on the last day with someone called lizalot neumann lotta neumann has actually become a good friend and she just won the US Open the year before, I believe. So she was just like this superstar, mm. like ABBA stat- <laughs> status. Like people loved Lotta and still do. And here's this little rookie pro from Scotland. First tournament in Sweden as a pro. No one gives two hoots about me. You know, and I've you know, come from this really good career and everyone supporting you. But then you're in Sweden all of a sudden. You know, honestly, people would just be walking when it's my turn to play. They're only interested in Lotta. And I just, I, it was like such a strange, unique um, experience for me. I was like, what, what about me? You know, yeah. but that's just the way it was. Big yeah. bad world, right? You know, you go from being Curtis Cup kind of superstar, everyone supporting you and loving you. Um, and then all of a sudden the, the pro life is very much wherever you are, you're the local but you're not you don't go from Scotland to Sweden and be that local person, if you know what I mean, if that yeah. makes sense. So that was a real eye opener. I was like Ooh. and I, I shot one of the worst scores I'd shot in years because I was so out of my comfort zone. And um but it's a learning experience. It's like, okay, completely different ball game this professional life, you know, and it was. Yeah. And you know, you talked about this ladder of progression from the amateur career to get to the top. You know, what is it that motivates you as a professional and Obviously, money's nice, but that really wasn't my motivator, to be honest. I kind of wish it was, but it wasn't. But, um, you know, I just wanted to play the best I could. And, you know, then, you know, the Solheim Cup was just coming to fruition then. And it was like, okay, I'd been to one at Damahoy and saw how wonderful this was. And it was just in its infancy then, the Solheim Cup. And that was it. That was my goal. Okay, how do I get to the Solheim Cup? Yeah. You know, but there wasn't this ladder that the amateur career set out so it's literally you just had to play your best every round yeah. so it was kind of a weird learning experience for me but I figured it out you know I played well and eventually got in, got in that team but it's like okay once you played in the Solheim Cup then what so you've always got to keep reevaluating your goals as a professional and that was a, a hard one for me and I don't really know if I ever really figured it out to be honest because it's you know as I say I had a decent career but I can't say could have should have but um, I, I would like to have been a, a bit better it was long I mean I, I, I had a good time out of it but you know one win a couple of Solheim Cups and stuff like that and that I mean that, you know people look on your record and say that's 
not that great but the other sort of spin-offs from that are great the pro-ams you play in the people you meet sponsorships you get and there's lots that entails to being a professional golfer and um again i wouldn't have changed it for the for the world and loved every minute of it probably should have quit a wee bit before i did um you know because that time when i was finishing the youngsters were coming through completely different you know um generation strong really strong like really athletic taller but again all the um, benefits of title nine for sure in the states where they're getting these athletic people training them to be golfers instead of in the past they just would have gone on to other sports but now all of a sudden golf was a um a catch you know mm. there's money to be made there was a great golf tour there's a solheim cup you know eventually we're now getting like the the men um so uh, very interesting but then you know uh, i always think that my solheim cup experience um at san pierre is probably my favorite week um but winning being the first scot to win at toledo was yeah i was gonna ask you about that incredible i mean amazing just i mean the whole i was playing well and that, so where did start again it's amazing kind of storylines that was my 11th week in a row and um, that year in 1995 wow. and i was going to come back home uh again so because i wasn't i didn't have a place out in the states there my um my husband was caddying for me and then i got another tour caddy because we were getting a few more clubs wrong so scott was giving a bit of a break at that time <laughs> and um i got a guy from presswick actually that came and caddied for me great guy and um so he was out with me for these 11 weeks but then he was missing his girlfriend so he went home and i stayed on for this toledo week which happened to be the same week as my parents 40th wedding anniversary and the week before the us open which i'd qualified for so i was going to actually come home and surprise mum and dad for the 40th but i just knew that my game was kind of trending i thought no there's something i just felt something good was going to happen so there i am i don't have my regular caddy i got another caddy that was a tour caddy that was free that week um I remember coming from the tournament the week before, which was uh, just two hours down the road. Yeah. I'd played well in that, dr driven up the road to the tournament site, Toledo, and then putting on the putting green outside in front of the clubhouse. It was about six, seven o'clock at night. That's how dedicated it was. And this, after playing four rounds, you know, the week before. And this guy came over to me and goes, come here, Catherine. I went, okay, what, what's this guy want? He's probably had too many gin and tonics. He just said, you're going to win this week, right? I said, okay, whatever. And just went back to my putting. I just said oh, that's nice or something, you know. Yeah. Didn't, you know just. And so the week progresses, and Toledo is sponsored by Jamie Farr, who is Clinger and Mash. For any of you Mash listeners, you probably don't even know what Mash is, but it's a really popular. <laughs> you should look it up. It's funny. But the tournament goes along, and um, into the twelfth hole it was on the Sunday. I'm one behind the leader. And I see this guy in a crowd of thousands. This tournament is really well attended, right? Yeah. People come. And I never normally do that. And I see this guy and he's just kind of, you know, like this. And then, you know, I go on to win. Wow. And, you know, I always remember saying, it gives me goosebumps even yeah. thinking about it now. When I was being interviewed afterwards, I just said to Kay Cockle, who's new in her post as a golf channel um, analyst, I said, oh, there was someone that told me I was going to win this week. I just want to find him because I want to take him with me for the rest of my you know, tour. And I never saw him again. It was the oh. weirdest thing. You would have thought it would have come up as it was really kind of do-do-do, you know, spooky kind of thing. But amazing experience. So, you know, it's just... Uh, what a thrill to you know set a I don't know, set president but being the first one to win from Scotland and I think that just gave other people the like it does for everyone they're like you know like when Seve and Nick Valdo and Bernard Langer when they were all at their prime it's because 
Nick Faldo is winning and they're all saying, well, Nick can win, I can win. You know, so it's that yeah. kind of thing. And that's, you know, that's what people do when they inspire, hopefully. So it was amazing. Um, loved oh. it. And, you know, it's just, just set, set you up, really. I mean, once you win on the tour, you're exempt for many years. And obviously it's nice to get a nice big fact check as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, bank. and um, you know, just all the things that go with it. I got a Rolex for wow. um, yeah. first time winners on the tour. Lovely. Um, get a Rolex um, with the date on it. And that's, that's the story to it because the day I won was the actual date of my parents 40th wedding anniversary. Oh, I know it's, I mean the storylines yeah. are just incredible so mum and dad or mum I gave my Rolex to my mum oh um, lovely yeah so she had that um until she passed away unfortunately a few years ago but um you know it's just a nice thing to do it when when I honestly was thinking that I like giving people surprises <laughs> I was going to come back and just surprise them but you know I didn't so it was yeah. really fun but that was that was Amazing. kind of the story for that yeah it was a Amazing. nice story yeah Oh, yeah. you had a fantastic professional playing career mm-hmm. and then you went on to coach after is that right yeah so that was an easy transition for me and again remember the day clear as day so every tournament you play as a professional you play in a pro-am the, the day before so wednesday's pro-am day thursday's the first round and my game wasn't particularly good at the end of my career it was just you know getting it right you know relatively and um i remember playing the pro-am and i was more concerned about my pro-am partner's pathetic game than mine and I was helping him with his you know his game um, and that was a sign for me it's like no because I didn't you know I was I literally was more interested in helping someone else and get my own game fixed and it's like well time for me to to be a teacher you know um, teach the game so and that's when and teachings in my blood both my parents were teachers and um, I got my qualifications as an instructor from the Jim McLean uh, Golf Academy phenomenal program LPGA teaching professionals program as well phenomenal program and just you know years of experience you know so um definitely can uh, like to think can help a few people <laughs> with their game but you know it just opens the door i mean teaching's just a great career to have so again for young girls and boys for that matter if you getting into to golf it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be on the tour being a touring pro and being the next you know rory or the next uh, annika but you know you can get into coaching there's so many avenues that golf can open up youngsters so if you look at it that way and you know my my career as a coach can go on forever um you know i think there's always ways i mean i'm still learning but you know i've, I've got lots of tools to to share with 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 people to help them with their game when i went to stanford university as a, that was my first kind of coaching job if you will after i quit playing and what an opportunity there i mean just incredible facility at Stanford and uh, Northern California, you know, the right in the heart of Silicon Valley, all the oh, wow. movers and shakers, I know, it's, I mean, it is quite incredible. And actually one of my um, good friends now and, and a student that I taught for almost eight years was Condoleezza Rice, uh, former Secretary of State for America, who a lot of people are wishing would go for presidency, but she'll, she'll never do it. But um, she um, loved her golf and I spent a lot of time helping her just, you know, the, yeah. the people you can meet through the game of golf is incredible. Um, you know, again, I always think of myself very extremely fortunate. Yeah. And, you know, she was one of many, you know, the high profile folks that I would, I would teach out there in Silicon Valley and reap the benefits of a few trips to Hawaii and Bahamas to teach yeah. golf. I mean, well, Amazing. pretty cool, right? Amazing. Yeah. 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 Oh, incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. So what, what would you say, what, uh, I mean... It all sounds amazing, but what do you love most about your job then? Well, my job now, I mean, I again, 
got the best job in the world and I keep saying that to, to my squad members as the uh, high performance women's golf coach for Scotland and it's just sharing you know what I've experienced I mean mm. they all want to or not all of them but most of them want to go where I've been you know they want to turn pro they want to um, you know go, go down the road that I've, I've been on albeit it has changed very much the landscape has changed I mean professional golf is very much a team effort now you've got to have your nutritionist your you know your strength and conditioning person your technical coach and all that good stuff but um it's just you know it's just sharing that knowledge and and seeing them i mean they are so good these these women that i teach are so good and it's just giving them that belief you know helping yeah. them with that belief and um the next step to performing to the best of their ability and, and get them excited about the game get them proud to be you know representing scotland and inspiring others i mean if they can't inspire the next generation who can you know yeah. and it's um that's just the values I'm trying to instill in them. I just thought we could, as a final bit mm-hmm. of this interview, look back over your career and look into the future a wee bit. So mm-hmm. obviously you've been involved in golf since the sort of late 70s. Um, you would have witnessed quite a lot of changes in that time. Um, and I just <coughs> wondered if you could reflect on some of that, the main sort of changes you think in women's golf and whether it be, you know, amateur, professional. Well... Again, we could talk about this for forever, but just sort of in a nutshell, how much has changed. I mean, one place where I was being talked as a you know in the very early days, women can go through the front door to golf clubs. Incredible in my yeah. lifetime. Yeah, unbelievable. Women couldn't vote for their club, you know, committees or whatever. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, women couldn't get tea times on a Saturday morning. I mean, it just me. It's just like you know, you're shaking your head still. You know, yeah. but I mean, and it's. I have to admit, there's still probably clubs that are haven't changed much. Mother changing, and mm-hmm. that's that's the the best thing. And you know, women now are, are as business like as, as men, and should have the same chances of playing. And they are. The clubs are getting better, but mm-hmm. they're they're still not quite equal. I wouldn't say. But there are clubs that are definitely more um, having quality across the board, which I love. I mean, that's the only only way forward. But from that respect, it's 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 definitely uh, getting better. But amateur to pro stuff. I mean, the the standards just unbelievable now um, because teaching's better. Um, kids are getting better teaching at a younger age because um, we understand it more. Technology's helped a ton. Research and development in the golf game and the golf swing. We know exactly know we know exactly what muscles to train to be better to sequence the golf swing. We want to get into the golf swing. We could talk another four hours about that. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but we know all that now. We yeah. know what equipment that like you as a beginner should have. Uh, you know, like if you were coming in for a lesson, I'd know to start very small with you. You know, to start chipping and putting and then build it up. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, people were given a golf club and okay, like swing like Sebi type thing. You know, and you just can't do that. You got to learn. It's a progression. But equipment, you know, what we understand about the golf um, swing, the mechanics, everything's just changed so much. Women in golf, particularly the the money we're playing for now, it's incredible. I mean. I think the U.S. Open this year, they almost close to a million. I think the the first prize for for the women is a couple of tournaments now. Um, you know, back in my day, million was the purse, and it's usually fifteen percent went to the the winner, and then it's you know graded from there. But it's all really positive. I mean, women's sports and women in golf is definitely heading in the right direction, and it's only going to get better. And the clothes are really cool now. No frumpy Jack Nicholas um, Pringle jumpers, which was a great jumper, by the way, Pringle. Yeah. If anyone from Pringle, <laughs> but you know, it's really cool stuff. It's light, sporty. It's great. And equipment's great. So it's it's just uh, yeah, it's been an interesting 40, 50 years.
years now, basically, that I've been involved in, in golf to see all that transform. Mm-hmm. But I just love seeing the kids out there and love seeing them, uh, you know, having them the, the opportunity to play. And, you know, the States do a really good job with that, the first tee program, introducing it to everyone and anyone. And actually that is going to hopefully come to Scotland and it's a, a great program to, to get involved in. Great. And is there anything that you still <coughs> feel needs to change or you would like to see change at all in the amateur or professional or both? You know, I think I'd like to see more competitions for, for women for the amateur, top amateur level. Um, you know, compared to the men, we're still lacking behind that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see a better program in schools for youngsters, um, mm. you know, to really spread the word about how wonderful this game is yeah um and i have to say even though the money's getting better for the women at the professional level it's still eons behind the men okay and it shouldn't be right yeah <laughs> we're still putting definitely on a, a great um uh entertainment and you know but it's getting there we're definitely catching up but, yeah um, it's only positive in, in the women's professional world put it that way or in the women's golf world things are changing it's getting better but we can still we can still make it better it's great we're very positive mm-hmm. um, and just ending on that positive <coughs> note if we've got anyone listening who um, would like to start playing golf what would you say to them to get them started you know uh, there's always local PGA pros that will be within 10 minutes of where you are um, very easy to look up now online or reach out to myself um, hopefully you'll, you'll provide some links but yeah. if you are like if parents want to get your your kids into it get the fundamentals nailed get the right grip on the the golf club and just start small small swings and then then build up although youngsters can can generally have a pretty decent swing when they put a golf club in their hands uh, to begin with but i mean it's never too late to take up golf either you know for any adults out there who want to take up the this game and I certainly like to think I make it fun when I teach um, adults um, that are taken up later on in life because it is a really hard game. So don't be frustrated. It's super hard. And I always say that to folks. Always end or start a lesson with, remember, golf's really hard. <laughs> so go easy on yourself. But it's such a fun game to, to take up. And I would go out there, give it a go. Start with putting, then chipping, then then get yourself out to a driving range. And then if you get the bug, go and, go and join a club. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Give it a go. Yeah. Thank you so much, Catherine. No, this has pleasure. been... Honestly, it's been incredible speaking to you yeah. today. Thanks so for thank having me. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. On the next episode, I welcome Emma Ballard to the podcast. Emma is a passionate golfer and the editor of Women and Golf, and I cannot wait to hear all about her experiences of playing golf and of working in the sport. I'm especially looking forward to hearing her thoughts on her participation in the RNA's Women in Golf Leadership Development Programme. Please like and subscribe. All the links to where you can find us are in the podcast description. Please also feel free to get in touch if you have any questions, comments or recommendations for future episodes.